What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. You know, we all come from very different walks and backgrounds, but when I say the word uncommon, you probably have things that flash to your mind. You probably have things that you go, yeah, yeah, I know what uncommon looks like, but what does uncommon greatness look like? That's what we're going to talk about in this episode of Lynch with a leader. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is an honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the spaces and places that God has put us. Well, today in episode 202, we get to sit down with an uncommon leader named Mark Miller. Mark has spent decades helping lead the way at Chick-fil-A in establishing a culture of leadership and a culture of servanthood and really being the architect behind so much of what we know today as Chick-fil-A as he has trained leaders and operators and staff all over the world. He takes all of those years And he begins to boil them down to what uncommon greatness really looks like. And I'm telling you, his brand new book is so good. And you're going to enjoy it so much. Mark is a leader of leaders. And I'm just telling you, you're in for an absolute fire hydrant of information today as Mark just unpacks his brand new book. I am so glad you're here. If it's your first time, I'm pumped. If you're a weekly listener to the Lynch of the Leader podcast, thanks. Man, I hope you share it with friends. I hope it's adding value to your life. So I don't know where you're listening from today, but I want you to do me a favor and I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Mark Miller. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is great to have you back. Well, it's great to be back. I appreciate it very much. What I love about it is you love leader. Leadership isn't something you do. It really is who you are. Would you agree with that? Well, I'm, I'm trying to uh, fulfill my calling, which is which is to lead and and to serve leaders. And so I feel like I'm on that journey every day. How have you grown? So your career at Chick-fil-A has now morphed into your career with the world, really, as your new platform. How have you morphed as a leader through these years? How have you continued to grow in that leadership? Well, yeah, I don't think we've got enough time to talk about all the ways (laughs) that I've grown over the years. Uh, You know, I'm not the leader I, I used to be, nor am I the leader I want to be but I'm better than I used to be. And I think for me, it really goes back over 40 years, almost 45 years ago. uh, I had just joined the Chick-fil-A corporate staff, had been on staff 
there. I started in the warehouse in the mailroom. Some of your listeners may remember that story. I was the 16th employee, and Truett Cathy hired me uh, to work in their warehouse. I tell people it was a combination of God's grace and lack of discernment on <laughs> Truett's part that he gave me that job. And about six months later, I moved into a different role, and my supervisor was trying to help me understand how to have a successful career. And I thought this was so cool because I think I was 19 at the time, right? And he said, you know, there's only one path to increased influence, opportunity, and impact. And I went, really? He said, yeah, there's only one path. And I said, well, I'd love to know, I'd love to know the answer to the test. And he said, it's lifelong learning. Mm. And I said, mm. really? I said, is that how the world works? He said, the only path to increasing influence, opportunity, and impact is lifelong learning. And the way I talk about it today is that your capacity to grow determines your capacity to lead. And so I made a choice. Now, my parents wish I'd have made that choice much sooner. I was a lousy student. <laughs> but I said, okay, if that's the way the world works, then I'm going to make a commitment to lifelong learning. And a quick aside, I was telling this story uh, to, to a group. Someone asked a similar question, and I was trying to answer the question. I, I shared with them what I just told you, and they said, yeah, but that's probably easy for you. And I said, well, why would you say that? And they said, well, I bet learner is one of your strengths, mm. which is, uh, again, a reference, I believe, to the work that Marcus Buckingham and others did on strength finders. Some of you know yep. about it. You take yep. a test. It tells you what you're good at. And everybody loves to know what they're good at. And they've got 34 strengths. And one of those is learner. And I said, well, that's interesting because I don't think learner is in my top 10. I'm not sure it's in my top 20. It may not be in my top 30. And they said, well, that's odd. I said, why is it odd? They said, well, you act like a learner. And I said, well, thanks. I made I made a decision over mm. 40 years ago, and I'm still trying to live out that decision. And so how have I grown? I've, I've tried to grow every day uh, because I want more influence. I want more impact and I want more opportunities to serve. And so I that's see been, that's been my ticket for, for all these decades. Well, and what I love about it, Mark, is I see that in your brand new book, your new book, Uncommon Greatness is so good. And you put a quote at the beginning of it. If your heart is not right, nobody cares about your skills. Why is it so imperative that a leader has the inside right before they lead outwardly with whatever gifting and skill they might have? I will say a couple things about that. One reason it's important is because if your heart's not right, nobody cares about your skills. That's good. And, and I think I can prove this to, to your listeners. Just call to mind a leader that you know who is very skilled that you would choose not to follow. Mm. Well, why wouldn't you follow them? You just said they were skilled. Well, my guess is you don't want to follow them because you've got questions about their heart. You've got questions about their motive. You're not quite sure, are they a serving leader or a self-serving leader? Mm. And actually, the pendulum swings in your heart and your mind to the fact they're more self-serving. So if we want to be a leader that people follow, it has to start with the heart. Mm. Mm. Uh, and I don't know if we talked about this the last time I was with you, but I'll remind folks that may not have heard that episode, is our picture of leadership at Chick-fil-A, we developed it about 25 years ago, and it's an iceberg. 
at about 10% above the waterline represents the skills and competencies, the things that are easy to see. They're, they're observable in day-to-day -day, uh, life. But the 90% below represents the heart. I mean, it, your ultimate success as a leader will have far more to do with your heart than your skills, although you do need both. You know, we, we also know leaders that couldn't lead themselves out of a room who have a great heart. We don't, we don't want that either. Leadership, like an iceberg, has two pieces. That's right. And it's the skills and the heart. And so I believe um, there are, I don't even know how many, hundreds of thousands of books on the skills and competencies of leaders, those things that are required. There are very few things that, that we've seen that actually address the primary factor in determining our success. And we believe it's the heart. And, and I agree with you on that. I think I've lived long enough now to see the rearview mirror of, of bodies of guys who had the skills, but not the heart. And they, and they just couldn't make it right. It just couldn't, couldn't work. How people does won't follow? People won't follow. People the, won't that's, follow. That's they won't follow. And how does, how does a faith, play into the heart piece? How does a person's spiritual journey with the Lord play into that heart staying right to be the leader they were created to be? Well, tragically, I don't know that it always does. Mm. I, th I think I think that that's probably another conversation for another day. Uh, I do think for for those that follow Jesus, the closer you are to him, the easier it is for you to get the heart right. I don't think that makes it easy. I mean, there is a gravitational pull towards self. That's right. That I think, I think believer and unbeliever have to fight that forever. Hmm. I have to fight that forever. You you make a comment early, early, even before we get into all the components of what makes an uncommonly great leader. You say that leaders are the architects of the future. Why are leaders so important to creating not just where their companies or their schools or their teams go, but where the future ultimately goes? Well, followers aren't figuring that out. Mm. And, and that's not, not to minimize their role, their contribution, their impact, their, their uh, essential to the success. But leaders are the ones that say, here's where we're going, here's why, and they rally people to pursue that preferred future. Um, if you're not trying to go anywhere, you actually don't need leadership. <laughs> if you're that's just so trying well to hang said. on. Now, unfortunately, it's real hard to tread water as an organization and many who tread water ultimately sink because it's just really, really, really hard. It's forward progress that keeps an organization and the people uh, energized. It, it helps the organization maintain uh, relevance and vitality. And leaders are the ones saying, hey, here's where we're going. Here's why let's go. Follow me. Mm. And, there are far too many people that are that are comfortable in the present, and and that's not where leaders live. I mean, leaders have this constant tension of heads up and heads down. We do have to care about the present, but leaders that get caught in the present forfeit their leadership. I mean, they might be managing at best, and, and I believe management and leadership are two dis different disciplines, and you need both, but far too many organizations that struggle and many that fail 
if you if you do a, an autopsy, you're going to find out they were overmanaged and underled. Mm. You you say the first trait of a uh, uncommonly great leader is the ability to see the future. Right. And Peter Drucker, who you love, said the best way to pre- predict the future is to create it. What did Truett Cathy do so well? You had the up close seat to him being the 16th employee right there at the beginning. What did he do so well about seeing the future that most people wouldn't know and wouldn't understand? Yeah. Um, wow. I, I, I think he, he did it in so many ways. Um, let me think of a good example. Well, I mean, he he invented the chicken sandwich. He saw something other people hadn't seen. Right. You think about thousands and thousands of years that that chickens and bread have been on the planet, and Truett was the one that said, hey, let's make a sandwich. He saw that. Again, very pragmatic. Uh, it was a way for him to cook chicken more quickly by taking the bone out, so he was working with a filet because his customers didn't want to wait long enough to, for him to cook the bone-in chicken. And then a eureka moment, if you will. Hey, I bet we could make this into a sandwich. And of course, the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Um, but but he saw the importance of leadership. Now, in Truett's generation, and Drucker was part of that generation as well, it was often referred to as management. And I think we, again, could have a conversation another day about the distinctives of leadership mm-hmm. and management. But, but back in Truett's day, leadership and management were one thing. And Truett understand how important leadership was in the success of an organization. In fact, he used to say, I heard him say this 40, almost 50 years ago. He said, every organization needs two things to be successful. They need capital and management. And and I think this was him seeing the future. He said, if we try to find both of those in a single individual, the pool is very small. He said, but if we provide the capital then all of a sudden, the pool of men and women with these management and leadership skills grows exponentially. Mm. And that's the model Chick-fil-A uses today. And to my knowledge, none of our competitors, at least none of our major competitors, have taken a similar approach. Now, again, probably any number of reasons for that, but I think that was true at saying we can get a higher caliber leader if we'll provide the capital. And again, that model served us well for gosh, 50 years. That's amazing. Um, More than that. So we saw, let me give you one more. He walked onto the property at Berry College, and this must have been 30, 35 years ago. And some folks know Berry College. It's in North Georgia, Um, uh, liberal arts school, private school. But they had a separate campus that used to be a high school, and it was abandoned. And it had dorms and libraries and gymnasiums, and and it was spectacular. It was several miles removed from the main campus. Barry, uh, at the time, was the largest uh, campus in America. I mean, they have tens of thousands of acres, big, big place. But they had this entire campus, and he saw that place, and he said, we, we could do something with this. And now for decades, uh, Truett and the foundation have— leased that property, and they've done uh, homes for children, they've done camps, they've done college scholarships and boarded those students there. All these things that he saw, nobody else seemed to see it. Mm. 
Mm. In fact, even internally, when Truett came back from that trip and said, hey, I think we're going to do this thing up at Berry College, there were a lot of skeptics and there were a lot of naysayers going, well, we 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 don't do that. I mean, we sell chicken. It's like, yeah, well, we <laughs> we can impact the next generation. And and he saw stuff that the rest of us didn't see. So I could go on and on and on and on. Um, it was he was really, really good at seeing the future. And he wouldn't have said he was good at that's what was so unique about him. I don't think he would have gone, well, I'm really great at seeing the future, but he just had that ability. And even while you worked at Chick-fil-A, you told the story um, when they asked you to do something beyond what you had done before. So when they asked you to really stretch your wings, how did it change how you began to see the future when, when they sort of pushed you out of your comf- comfortability a little bit into sure. a vast net of leadership? Well, again, I could give several examples. Let me give just a little context for for our listeners here. Uh, One example, I'm not sure if this is the one you're referring to or not, is uh, we had been focused primarily on serving a relatively small group of leaders within the organization. And I was challenged, how could you figure out a way to serve 10 million leaders a year? And it was like, hold on, let let me get my head around that. I went back to my team and I said, hey, Here's a crazy idea. How could we serve 10 million leaders a year? And one of one of the folks on my team, now this was a few years back, but they were younger than me. And they said, you know, that's very possible. And I said, what have you got in mind? And they said, have you heard of this thing called the internet? <laughs> and so at that point, I started blogging. I wrote three blogs mm-hmm. a week for years because we said, hey, here's a way to serve literally millions of leaders around the world. And to answer your question, that has happened to me several times. And and it's done, it's done at least two things for me. It has made me think bigger Mm. in almost all areas of my leadership. Um, And, and the second thing it's done is it's encouraged me to challenge others to think bigger. Because I've got example after example, while I was growing and maturing as a leader, other leaders were investing in me by stretching my vision. So now that, uh, as you referenced a moment ago, I'm in my second chapter, my second half, I should say, we're trying to run up the score. We're trying to find a way to serve 100 million leaders in the next seven years. And we'll see. But why not? Why not dream big, Mm. right? Why not dream big? And so uh, I'm trying to challenge other leaders to dream big as well. You did, you, you put something in there I thought was so good. So I I look at this through the lens of being a pastor. Um, A lot of guys assume churches and they take over churches and they've got a massive vision of what the future looks like. But you made a challenge and you said it's imperative that a leader remembers the past remains grounded, and dares to dream. Why is remembering the past so critical to seeing the future properly? Well, if if we don't remember the past, and I'm not sure who said this, someone famous said this, we are destined to repeat the failures of Mm. the past. I just think there's so much we can learn. Now, leaders, I, I don't encourage any leader to live in the past, but I encourage every leader to learn from the past. Mm, mm. 
There are some things you definitely don't want to do again. There are some things that might actually work in today's world. Again, you've got to be really careful. Um, you know, one of the um, little quick sidebar, uh, Toynbee did a study of the rise and fall of 21 civilizations. One of the things he discovered that was a signal of their, their demise was when leaders began to apply yesterday's answers to today's questions. So we've got to be really, really careful. We got to be really careful, but there are things in your past personally, and there are things in your organization's past that will serve you in the future. You don't need to lose that. You don't need to to make all the mistakes again and say, "Oh yeah, that we've tried that nine times in the last ten years. It's never worked." Well, why are we doing it again? Right? Yeah. I mean, we should we should learn something here. But by by staying grounded, you you really can't. You know. So here's an example. Uh, some people think I may be overshooting by talking about 100 million leaders. There are folks out there in the world today who have 100 million downloads in a month. Yep. So so I don't think I'm overreaching, but in the spirit of staying grounded, I'm not going to say in the next seven years we're going to reach a billion. I mean, stretch goals are different than crazy goals. Mm. Now, again, somebody out there saying, well, the crazy goals are the ones that change the world. Yeah, sometimes they do. But but what's what's conceivable and yet linked to that idea of dreaming big, I think, for a guy that spent the last 45 years selling chicken to dream about serving 100 million leaders is is a pretty good stretch. Now, what I've told my team, some of them think that's way too low. I said, let's call it a milestone. Mm. And if we hit it really quick, we'll set another goal and we'll raise the bar. But let let's set something that's gonna that's gonna stretch our thinking. It's gonna stretch our imagination. Um, when I shared that for the very first time, uh, the team said, "Well, we'd have to do a lot of things differently." I said, "That's exactly what I want you to be thinking." <laughs> if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you always got. That's right. Or less, or less, because the efficacy of your ideas and your strategies and tactics. Mm they're not the half-life on those is getting shorter and shorter. You said that also uncommon people and uncommon leaders engage and develop others. Why is engaging and developing so critical? And why does that separate you from common leaders? Well, engagement is a mess right now. Uh, Gallup, uh, first under Marcus Buckingham, and now he's moved to another organization who's also measuring engagement nationally and globally. And it's awful. Uh, in most organizations in the U.S., it's between 15 and 25 percent of the people are engaged. Just imagine, that's why there's so few great organizations, because you've got seven to eight out of 10 people who don't care. Mm. So if you can create an organization where 80 or 90 or 95 percent or who knows, maybe 100 percent of the people really care, what a differentiator. How uncommon would that make you? Uh, I just I think it is the um, I think it's an indictment on American leadership and global leadership that we could run organizations and allow so few people to care. I mean, we are the ones that ultimately determine the level of engagement of our team members by the things we do, by the things we fail to do. Yep. 
you told a story in that chapter. It might be one of my favorite stories I've ever read that I didn't know. I just had never heard before. And it was the story of Bill Campbell. Yeah. A person who made a massive mark as you began to learn about his story, both from hearing the story and reading about him, what struck you the most? And what would you mind sharing with our crowd today? Well, let me give it to you at a really, really high level. There's a great book called The Trillion Dollar Coach. And Bill Campbell uh, was a uh, football coach at the collegiate level for, for a few seasons and, and actually didn't didn't fare very well. He ended up moving through corporate America and excelled and, again, had several great jobs uh, over the course of his career. And when he retired, he was hired by a venture capital uh, group as their executive in residence. And I thought that was a cool title and maybe even a more cool job. Mm -hmm. uh, he was assigned to help the organizations that they were backing financially be successful. And one of his first assignments was at Google. And he sat in the room with their leadership team every week and was their executive coach. And he went on to coach many, many Silicon Valley uh, companies. Uh, their combined worth uh, at the time of his death was over a trillion dollars. And the book came about at his funeral, which was a who's who of, of Silicon Valley and a unique combination of ordinary people. Uh, the the uh, A caddy from the golf club he liked to play at in Mexico and a waiter from a restaurant in New York because it, it was just a very eclectic group. They say what everybody there had in common is they all love Bill. Hmm. But it was at that funeral that some of the men and women he had coached over the years said, we need to write a book about what he taught us. Hmm. And that, and they are the ones that wrote the book, The Trillion Dollar Coach. And as we search, he kind of became our anchor story. There are other stories and examples and illustrations that we share. But when it comes to engage and develop others, I haven't found a better example out there than what Bill Campbell did. That was powerful. And you broke apart in the chapter about genuinely loving those that you lead. And I think we all yeah. love putting best coaching practices in. Well, I'll I'll do this with my team and we'll read a book and we'll do these things. Why is loving them so critical to them engaging and developing? Well, if if you don't care about people, it's hard to care for people. Right. It, it goes back to that comment I made a few minutes ago about your heart. Are you a serving leader or a self-serving leader? Your motives not only matter, people know your motives. That's right. And if you're trying to use them as opposed to serve them, then that's going to make all the difference in the world. That goes back to people may choose not to follow you mm. because of your heart. Who's the best one you've ever seen at that? Who, what leader have you rubbed shoulders with that you said, this person got that more than anybody else I've known? They, they led very well, but they genuinely loved those that they led. 
Well, maybe Truett. Uh, Truett was so good. And and I'll go ahead and and, uh, and, and give a spoiler alert. I, I use Truett as an example several times in this book. And this book is not about Chick-fil-A. As mm-hmm. you've read it, you know. And we did we did global research. Yep. We we talked to over four thousand leaders in six countries. Uh, we, we did a lot of work on this. We have lots of examples, lots of illustrations, but I continued to return to Truett because he was just so good at each of these fundamentals. Mm. Growing up in Fayetteville, Georgia, that was my hometown, people either worked at Chick-fil-A or Delta back then. And so it was sort of crazy because I got a, a, a great upfront view of Chick-fil-A as just a kid growing up and all my friends' parents worked there. And so we were down at headquarters. They used to call it all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, he was so much of that. And you just, you, you just couldn't get him to explain that he was any of it. And that's the humility of it was amazing. And you, you, you make another point in the book and I think it's really good on what uncommonly great people do is they reinvent continuously. Mm-hmm. Why is it so hard when you've been successful to continue to reinvent when you found success? Reinventing when you're bads, I think everybody comes natural. Reinventing right. when you're successful and doing it while you're successful, and you hit this in the chapter, why is that so hard for leaders to let go of and do? Probably several reasons, and and there's probably some psychology here that I'm actually not qualified to to speculate (laughs) on, but I think success is a lousy teacher, Mm, mm. And, and I think there's an undercurrent that people would probably never admit, but there's some fear there. If it's working and we start tinkering with it, it may not work. Now, there are any number of things I would encourage a leader to do if if they're paralyzed by their success. There are any number of things you can do, but I would ask them to go and look at your vision. Is it big enough? Go look at your goals. Are you dreaming big enough? Because what you're doing today got you where you are. There is a really good chance it will not get you where you want to go. And so that that vision, that dream, that 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 goal should be big enough to to break you free from the inertia and the gravitational pull of today. Mm. You've got to be able to escape your current reality, even to dream, but even more so to actually move forward. I mean, there it's a little bit scary. Yeah, it's a little bit scary, but you you got to believe the prize is worth the pain. What have you done as a leader while you were leading this team for all those years at Chick-fil-A and even now in your new position, what have you done to make yourself reinvent continuously? Is there any practices you've put in place that you say drive me to do that better than I probably would have otherwise? Yeah. Well, the first I've already mentioned is lifelong learning. If, If you're, if you're learning, and you're paying attention, and your heart's right, then that should spur you on. Mm, Another mm. I've already mentioned is setting big goals. Um, You know, I don't don't have to change much to serve the number of leaders that I have historically served. But set a big goal, I'm going to have to do 
I'm going to have to do different things mm. and I'm, I'm going to have to do them differently. Mm. Uh, you know, I continue to try to surround myself with people who will push me, challenge me, um, any number of things you can do. Just it, it really does begin with a, a decision that I, I want I want to accomplish more. I want to achieve more. I want I want our organization to serve more. Your your systems, your processes, your beliefs, your behaviors are perfectly aligned for the outcomes that you're now receiving. Like hope is a good thing, but it is not a strategy for improvement. That's good. The leader tells me they hope something's going to happen. I'm not betting a nickel on them. My follow-up question is always, well, what are you going to do? Yeah. I'm glad you're hopeful. What are you going to change? What are you willing to change to get a different outcome? You you hit, and and I, these tie so well together because they just are such building blocks. You talk about valuing results and relationships, and you told the story of John Wood. One of my favorite parts of your book is you tell great stories, and you guys did your research, and you found great characters that make these points come alive. How did John Wood and the legendary UCLA basketball coach balance results and relationships so well? Because they would seem to be at odds with each other. And I think a lot of corporate leaders may go, well, you can't have both. But he did have both. Talk about that a little bit. Well, let's back up half a step. Uh, Some of your listeners are familiar with Jim Collins. He's a a friend of of Chick-fil-A's. Uh, I've had the privilege to visit with him in Boulder. He's been and spoken at a couple of our events. And he coined a term years ago called the genius of the and. Mm, mm. And I think valuing results and relationships is a really good good example of the genius of the and. And it's not things that might be in conflict. It's when an organization decides to pursue two things that will at times be in conflict. Uh, uh, The example that I think resonates with a lot of people uh, is Toyota. Some people don't know the backstory. Decades ago, they said, we're going to produce high quality cars at a low cost. And people said, well, you're crazy, right? If you you have low cost, you're going to have crappy cars. And if you have great cars, you're going to have expensive cars. And they said, no, we're going to find a way to do both. They actually sold a few cars Mm -hmm. that are really good quality and they're modestly priced, right? They're not at the top of, of anybody's uh, list of uh, prices. And so I think valuing results in relationships is a really, really good example of that. Now, your question specifically about Wooden, Wooden did a lot of things. Uh, let me back up just a, a quick word on his whole reinvent continuously concept. I had the opportunity to spend some time with him one-on-one in his home Uh, I say one-on-one, there were two of us from the Chick-fil-A. He spoke at one of our events. And so we Mm -hmm. went out to see him to kind of help prep him for that. And it was, it was an amazing uh, afternoon for sure. But he had a practice of taking one facet of the game every year and doing a deep dive. This was in the off season. So he would have months and he would study rebounding or study dribbling or whatever, And then at the end of that process, those months of that deep dive, he would then change his uh, practice uh, schedule and exercises, drills, so that his team could incorporate what he had learned. 
So mm -hmm. he was fascinating to, to spend time with. But on valuing results and relationships, you don't have to go any further than to uh, listen to his former players. In fact, the day we were there, uh, near the end of our visit, I don't even remember what prompted the comment. He said, Bill hadn't called, but I'm sure he will. Well, I knew what he was talking about because I had done my homework. Yep. And Bill Walton, the NBA Hall of Famer who played for John Wooden, called the coach virtually every day for decades. Now, that tells you that he didn't just care about winning championships, mm -hmm. which he won a lot. I think he won 10 championships in 13 years. Um, and many believe the greatest coach of any sport in history, but he also cared enough about his players that they have stayed in touch with him for decades. And in mm -hmm. Bill's case, daily calls with the coach. So the question I ask in the book is who on your team is going to be calling you in a decade or two or three? Yep. And then why would they, mm. why would they? You, you close the book sort of where we began this conversation today, talking about embodying a leader's heart and, and you share the proverb above all else, guard your heart for everything flows from it. Why is a leader's heart so critical for their ultimate impact of leading others? Right. Well, it's the 90% below the waterline. Right. And although it's harder to see, the people you're trying to lead are really good at discerning what's below the waterline. Mm. And they're, they're trying to figure out, do, do you care about them? They're always trying to figure out several things. Do you care about them? What's important to you? And are you trustworthy? And if you can't convince them that you care about them, it's just going to be really, really hard for you to uh, get them to follow your leadership. And again, that's one reason among others why engagement is so low, because a lot of leaders are not embodying a leader's heart. Yeah. And so it, it's just, it's essential. Again, more of your success, the vast majority of your success throughout your career will be determined more so by your heart than it will your skills. Mm. Both are important, but with, without the right heart, People just aren't going to give you the time of day. They might stay on your payroll, and that creates another whole set of problems. Yep. But but you might get compliance, but you'll never get commitment. Mm -hmm. You, um, I asked you a question at the beginning. It was interesting when I said, how does a spiritual leader's heart how does faith play into it? And you said you said something really interesting. You said it doesn't always do a great job at it. It doesn't always right. live it out the same. I want to close with this question today. I, I believe that that God puts us where he puts us for a reason bigger than us, which is what this whole podcast is about. What do you think is God's ultimate desire about giving leaders the platform that he's given them? What do you think is the ultimate influence he wants them to have 
with how they lead. I'm not talking about just what they say or the Bible that sits on their desk. I'm talking about how they lead Monday to Friday, how they execute a meeting, how they call and check up on them when their mom's sick, Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. they care about you go. You do such a great job in the book talking about this. What do you think is God's ultimate plan for how he wants, wants to use leaders that are willing to be used? Well, I think it, um, I'm a Bible reader and, uh, I, I find a story in the book of Matthew that might answer your question. So in, uh, Matthew chapter 20, uh, the, some of the disciples are asking for positions of leadership and Jesus pretty much, I think articulates the answer to your question, at least from, from my point of view. And he said, you don't even understand leadership. Mm. In verse 26, he says, not so with you. You you need to do it differently than the world. He said, those of you that want to become great, and I would say great leaders, because that's the question. We're looking for positions. It doesn't say leaders, but that's the context of the conversation. He said, those of you that want to become great must be willing to become servants. And so what we've outlined are what we believe are the five strategic ways that great leaders serve. They see the future, they engage and develop others, they reinvent continuously, they value results and relationships, and they embody a leader's heart. And when you when you serve in that fashion, you will become a leader that people want to follow. You you will become an uncommon leader. Absolute riches in this book. I'm telling you, you know, you think of the decades that Mark has served alongside some of the greatest servant leaders that our generation has ever seen and what he learned from them and what they learned from him. And and what I love about books and podcasts and things like this is we get to glean that information from Mark and this uh, this book's one you're going to want to pick up. You're going to want to grab an extra copy. You're going to want to give it to a friend because it will help all of us be the leaders that God created us to be in the spaces and places that he's put us. Man, if this podcast has added value to you, man, I hope you'll share it. I hope you'll leave a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening from because it does help other people find their way to us. Well, we continue the string of great podcasts and great leaders. In our next episode, we get to sit down again with a second-time guest, Dr. Karen Gordon, who is wrote the book Three Chairs, and we spend our entire time talking about what healthy communication looks like. So if you lead others, this is a must-listen. And that will be in two weeks. Next week, you'll get to hear another Takeaways episode with Casey and I as we unpack my conversation with Mark. Well, once again, thanks for joining in today. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was a great day. Now, I hope you go be the leader that God created you to be in the space and place that he has put you. So let's love God. Let's love people. And let's live sin. Have a great one, everybody. 
Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.